This week's pod is supported by Manscaped. Manscaped is just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right pools for the job, and now you can be one of the first people in England to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Manscaped is a skin-safe trimmer for below-the-belt shaving. Uh, their 7,000 RPM motor has quiet stroke technology, and I know you fellas like a quiet stroke. So they tell us that Manscaped's technology will make your testes their besties. And you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code NQAT at manscaped.com. That's code NQAT for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Well, considerably cheerier result. I mean, funnily enough, uh, the the home team went 1-0 up early and then got absolutely spanked again for two games in a row. But uh, we were fortunately the away team this time. It was, it was much nicer return from the international break. How are you doing, Ed? Yeah, I'm good. Right side of the spanking. Are you, are you a spanker <laughs> yeah. or a spanky? Ed, what, what's your on. preference? Let's... Uh, I, I I will tell you the very clear and simple answer to that question. Absolutely neither. <laughs> My preference is to treat others and be treated with respect. Um, so there we go. The uh, the we thought we'd mix up the format a bit because we've been away for two weeks, during which time United have signed four players. There's been about I don't know a hundred rainforests worth of tabloid coverage of various things about the club so we thought we'd do it's, news it's first and then ride. come on to the, yeah it really has um come on to the game in in the second half of the show a great fun game as it was especially the last 10 minutes in particular but yeah more what, like the last oh, five or six but yeah <laughs> anyway yeah uh, so news well no from the from the 86th minute to the 96th minute in, the last indeed, 10 minutes of indeed, the game yes but, uh yes because we we'd like to play long after the final whistle as the game against Brighton um, declared. So uh, there was an international break. I couldn't really tell you many of the results. I feel like England beat Belgium and maybe didn't beat Denmark. Did they lose to Denmark? Lost to Denmark after right after um, Ari got himself injured and sent off uh, almost within seconds of each other. My friend called him Tesco finest Phil Jones once and never has it been more appropriate than that. Yeah. So international break, England uh, played poorly and beat Belgium and played poorly and lost to Denmark. For some reason, I ended up seeing both of those games. I think it's because I was doing some exercise while it was sort of on in the background rather than actually making an effort to watch England. But um, yeah, they weren't great. And and, uh, Harry Maguire had... uh, 32 fairly ignominious minutes um, before getting sent off against Denmark. He, 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 they, um, he, he didn't they seem in a good someone... place, but we'll come on to his performance against Newcastle because, um, you know, hashtag narrative, uh, he's proved all the doubters wrong, as his brother said on Twitter, in a less polite well, fashion. So um, you've you've got, they played someone else as well. Did they play Wales? Oh yeah, they played Wales in a friendly, that's right. That's... What a! Re- I mean, 
Honestly, in the I know of a global pandemic in which air travel and mixing of various bubbles is a bit of a no-no. Yeah, international I friendlies. Mean, this was this was the stupidest international break in history, and absolutely shouldn't. It sh- international football absolutely should not be happening. I'm not sure continental football should be happening, um, but anyway, international football definitely shouldn't. And shout out to the. A, the people of New Zealand, and B, the New Zealand football team who were like, uh, nah, <laughs> no, thanks. We'll, we, we'll, we'll skip it, bro. Cheers. Yes, I mean, it's, it's front page news in New Zealand. If they have one case anywhere yeah. in the country, um, they had uh, two cases a couple of months ago and turned out a couple of British tourists who hadn't uh, didn't properly quarantine and uh, the Prime Minister demanded a, an immediate inquiry. So, yes, they, they're, a, they're a fairly sensible lot, the... New Zealanders when it comes to this pandemic. Um, European football, not so much. Uh, I mean, look, no. there's there's an argument that everyone has the protocols and the protocols have been agreed Europe, you know, UEFA-wide, and they're supposed to be very similar. But the more you mix groups, the more risk there is, obviously. Yeah, yeah. As we've seen, I mean, we've literally seen that, like, you know, Cater went to Guinea, take in a case with him from here and spread it to five people and get, you know, it's just, just dumb. Anyway, um, the, uh, the football, I don't, I don't think I watched any of it really. I, I couldn't quite face it. I heard Pogba was good for France. That made me happy. Pogba but, then had um, a slight muscle problem, which was part yeah. of the reason he was left out yesterday. Solskjaer said, uh, after the end of yeah. the game, um, yeah, before that, there so, was a couple of hours of wild speculation about him being dropped and so on. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to this. Uh, the, um, who who the, else? The, the, um, did, uh, the news starts, though, before the transfer, before the international does. break, because the transfer window ended. And we've since we last spoke, United have signed Edinson Cavani, Amad Traore, Amad Diallo. Not ED wants to be known as Amad Diallo, so apologies. Um, not Amad Traore. Um, uh Fecundo Pellistri. Who's, I think who's already might, with the club, yep. 50% shot that that's the way he pronounced his name. And Alex Tellez, which is just pronounced Tellez, which is helpful. With that's a bit Alex. more. Tellez, I think. If you hear him say think, it, there's a bit of a... This, you know, hey, some, you, said, you, you said this. You think there's there's a bit of like bit of spin on it's it. It's a soft L. To me, he said Tellez, like just straight up. <laughs> you anyway. just haven't got the ears for it, you know. Anyway, <laughs> yes, um, uh, P- Palestri uh, is with the squad already and training. Um, Edison Cavani, uh, I think yesterday was his first day of training, or today, I can't, I can't remember. I mean, he had to quarantine for, for two weeks. Because, you know, we've only had since June to sign the guy, if he was our, you know, this is the part of the genius strategy we have for transfers these days. We've only had since then... So why not sign him at the last possible moment and have him miss an important game because of COVID rules? Anyway, yes. Uh, Diallo. Um, Diallo, uh, I've not seen anything of except for the two-minute clip that went round. Yeah, so um, I read a bunch of stuff after this signing, as I'm sure a lot of people did. And so when I first heard the signing and he was signing from Atalanta, I got super excited because Atalanta have been really good recently. And I was like, oh, well, I might well not have heard of a really good Atalanta player because I don't pay that much attention, but I know they've been doing some bits. Um, but no, he's he's uh, he was 
youth team player yeah. made a few, um, I think, 26 minutes in Syria last season. This is not a criticism of the signing, by the way, because all and sundry, all the people that have watched him, this kid is getting a heck of a talking up in a way that Pelistri isn't. Pelistri right. isn't. Um, th- there's an awful lot of excitement around Amadio. Yeah, so. I mean, we'll see. 26 like minutes uh, of first team football at age 18 doesn't doesn't necessarily track with that. But there's all sorts of reasons why um, young players might not be given a go before then. I mean, they tend to uh, blood them later in Serie A, which has been true for a, a long time. You know, he's a very slight lad. It's true, he's little. Uh, that also plays into it. He may just uh, mature later. But 40 million euros, 20 million guaranteed and 20 million in performance-related bonuses is a hell of a lot to pay for an 18-year-old kid um, when United were very much mid-ranked in terms of uh, the spend this summer. So we'll see. I mean, he's going to arrive in January, be with us for the second half of the season. Presumably that will be playing some reserve team football and, and just getting used to his surroundings before... Um, possibly graduating to the the first team next season, I would imagine. Palestri, yes, I mean I agree. Like all the discussion about him is, uh, you know, he's a right winger, same as uh, as uh, Diallo, and um, yeah, he says he's very raw, very quick, skillful, but but raw. And so we'll see. Recommended by former Penarol coach Diego Forman. Yes, poor old Diego. Um, uh, yeah, the the. I mean, the thing about the young players being signed at big money is I'm not against that as a as a strategy. And, and you know, we have heard a lot of people say that whilst United's senior team scouting is broken and the effectiveness at signing players is really shot, their youth scouting is is really genuinely good. Well, and a lot there is... I mean, I have a more cynical take, which is basically... That uh, that there is potential profit in this. I mean, there's probably not potential profit if you're paying forty million euros for an eighteen-year-old. They they really are going to have to become very very good in order to make much money on that. Um, but but, but it's not. Paying, it's it's paying, twenty million, isn't it? Or twenty? Yeah, twenty. But if he's good, then it's going to be forty million. So and then you can make a profit on it. So um, so but paying sort of three and a half as they did for Hannibal, three and a half plus bonuses might go up to quite a bit more. Um, or it looks like about nine for Palestri. You know, it's a lot of money for unproven players, but if they come good, then it's a hell of a lot cheaper than than buying, a, you know, even a mediocre standard player uh, of first team. So there's that, which, you know, is part of my cynical take. The second cynical take is, you know, when the Glazers first came into the club, they asked whether you could make money out of the transfer window. And we, we know they go in these sort of swings of... Spend a lot of money, often very badly, you know, not necessarily their fault. They're, you know, NFL owners. You wouldn't expect them to know anything about football. The people who should know about football, who are actually running the club, don't know anything about football and waste a lot of money. And then they swing to the other side, which is not spending much money, as has happened this summer, basically. Or they spent it in kind of weird ways. You know, Donny van der Beek, um, 35 million plus five, feels like good value for a player of his quality, but it feels like Solskjaer sees him as as um, Bruno Fernandes's replacement. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it, I, I don't quite know where the balance is there. 
And then with Edinson Cavani, here's a guy, as we just said, who's been on the market since June. If he was our number one option, he's a free, right? I mean, you know, could have got him at any point. Um, why not do the deal months ago? I, I just don't see the benefit. He's obvious. I mean, the, I'm going to answer my own question. The reason why is he was never a target and it was opportunistic at the last moment. Yeah, and I think that isn't bad. Signing I don't think signing Edison Cavani, even on big money. I mean if he's on if he's on really insane squad threat like squad harmony threatening money, then that's a problem. But if he's on big footballer money, that's totally yeah, it fine. Seems like it's, it's, well, I mean Every, like journalists consolidated around this idea that it's nine million net, so twenty million or so. It's a lot. I mean, it's it's, it's that's not small money, but no, but it's not. It, footballers get paid a lot. Like Edinson Cavani gets in gets paid a lot. Shocker! Like it's not it's not Sanchez four hundred and fifty grand a week or whatever it was not kind of money. Far off, but yes, uh, and it's a very short term deal. And I'm sure everyone will see through it as being sort of opportunistic and. If it doesn't work out, United will have lost that year's wages plus the nine million euros that they've apparently paid to his representatives. So it's it's a gamble, and and you know I like I like you in in um, in a vacuum, you know, outside of the context of United's general squad management, that's fine as a signing. Yeah, yeah, it's short term. Um, you know, I'm I don't imagine that uh, he's going to impart so much wisdom or any of that kind of nonsense that uh, it's going to be amazing from that perspective but if he can score a few goals you know if he gets in the sort of 15 range and he offers an option if Martial is injured or not playing well or we need an option off the bench or it's just a hell of a lot of games in a packed period of time then then it's useful having a, another number nine I think a lot of people thought we'd need another number nine my, my problem with Edison Cavani is its representative something wider, which is United's, you know, continued lack of ability to execute on anything that looks like a coherent strategy in the market at all. I mean, signing Tellez on the last day of the season is a really good example of that. Like on the last day of the window, Tellez was was I, it doesn't look like he was United's number one left back target. I'm not sure who was, but it didn't come to fruition until quite late on in the window and then there was a lot of penny pinching and and stuff the the signing of Tellez in and of itself we'll see the jury is massively out so it was very funny that Luke Shaw was campaigning for signings and then the one that came in one of the few that came in was a left back um it, it is not going to be hard to be an upgrade on Shaw and his attacking contribution has generally been very highly praised. The one thing that he apparently does not have a lot of is speed, which given our back four, that's a really significant problem. But, you know, that he could, if he's if he's good in the final third, I'll forgive numerous defensive errors, just like I'll forgive Aaron Wambasaka for not normally being good in the final third, although yesterday perhaps an exception to that, um, for, for his defensive ability. Um the Cavani signing and the lack of uh, coherency brings us on to the subject that we have to talk about, which is Jaden Sancho. So all the um, post-mortem stuff on Sancho makes it sound like United are United were just taken to the cleaners. Not take, They weren't even taken to the cleaners. They were just like um, 
they were having a completely different conversation oh, yeah. than the people that they were talking this to. This was the faulty towers of transfer <laughs> dealings. You know? <laughs> I mean, it was just absolutely insane. I mean, look, in the context of, say, the Harry Maguire signing, we can see some patterns here. In the end, with Harry Maguire, after being told all summer that it's £80 million, here's our price, do you want to pay it or not? You want this player? Fine, it's £80 million. They paid the £80 million. In in similar fashion, they were told by Dortmund, 120 million euros. Would you like to pay it? And and apparently, you know. But it's it's worse than that because Dortmund said it's 120 million by August the 10th. And after August the 10th, there's no business to be done. We're not selling Sancho after August the 10th. And Edward would just completely ignored that. Now I'm taking this mostly off the Athletic article, which I'm going to go out on a limb and assume was deep background, well-researched. It had a, a lovely bit of Edward Wood PR in it where it was like, um, the, the Joel Glazer would not sanction this amount of money. And they're like, hmm, yeah, all right. Um, maybe that's true. But uh, Woodward clearly assumed that Borussia were not serious and that they were going to back down at some point during the the transfer window. Now, the weird part about this is that Woodward ever thought that that would work in this case, because there's just no reason why it should. In fact, you, you could easily argue that next summer, There'll be more suitors that the things will have shaken out a little bit. And okay, yeah, maybe football's global finances will be completely in the toilet and they'll wish they'd taken the 120 million. But maybe, you know, Real Madrid will try and buy them or City will try and buy them or people that might, you know, there'll be some sort of bidding war. Yeah, Real Madrid didn't spend any money this summer. They're clearly waiting probably for Mbappe, who has told everybody, according to Ornstein, basically sent out a... Was it Ornstein? Someone, anyway, sent out a a form to fill in, which is you know lay out your general strategy for your squad and uh, and write a number at the end of it, and you better have a lot of zeros on it. So, I mean, I, I presume Real Madrid would like to have Mbappe. Mbappe will be a year out from the end of his contract, so he will leave because he's you know said. <laughs> I did find it funny that United were mentioned in dispatches. <laughs> Unless the guy has a stroke, he's not coming to Old Trafford. <laughs> um, in which case, we might get a discount. He'll have the number seven shirt when he's 35. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yes, look, um, I mean, it's even more wild, uh, the the whole stuff with Dortmund, when you just take all the quotes of Michael Zork, the, the sporting director at Borussia, because... It turns out he wasn't playing some three-dimensional chess here. He was just telling it straight <laughs> all along. <laughs> no, no bullshit. Just, hey, here, I'm just going to tell everybody, you know, this is what we want and this is the day we want it by, otherwise no deal. And he just told everyone the truth. Yeah, and of course, would didn't occur to Woodward and Judge that that, that would be a thing that humans would do. That. The worst, most frustrating thing about all of this were the two stories that broke at the end of deadline day. The MEN headline, which was the most predictable and disgusting, like, these people treat us like we're idiots thing. I don't mean, in this case, I'm not slagging off the MEN and it's fine stuff. Um, I mean, the briefing from the club. Mostly fine stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the club 
briefing that the director of football is still a possibility is the most irritating and predictable thing ever. And then the Pochettino stories started breaking that United have... I mean, that was... Like, that story seemed to break in very sort of not particularly credible circumstances for me. It wasn't like Ornstein, say, had a big story about it. It was some tabloid thing, which was like United have sounded out Pochettino. Well, United have sounded out Pochettino. That has definitely happened. They sounded him out when they gave Mourinho the job. um, And maybe they also did uh, when the Solskjaer deal happened. But anyway those two stories did my head in completely because as frustrated as I am with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, an absolutely appalling transfer window after a 6-1 loss and you start going, uh, hmm, thinking about replacing the manager. It's like, come on, lads. Yes, they do treat Not us Not that they should but, yes. you know, yeah. I'm surprised, I mean, how many, how many uh, director of football stories have we seen? A few, right, over the years. Um in, in, de- in fact, I think it was Castles this week was tweeting about, I think, I guess it on his podcast, that uh, that Campos, which was Jose Mourinho's choice for director of football at United, is leaving Lille and will be available. Of course, Monchi has been available twice in the last few years. Um, they may not be the right fit for United. There are plenty of others who, who are. And, uh, you know, my sense of this is that if United had wanted to appoint a director of football, they could have done it at any point of the last, what, three years that they've been releasing stories about this and it's just never going to happen. It's you know, it's such a basic distraction that we should just move on from this. Anyway, anything more to say about transfers or shall we move yeah, on from transfers? Just I'm kind of excited to see Cavani play for United. Um, you know, he's he is a high-quality striker. Yeah, and as soon he... as he scores a goal... There will be some placed piece by Ashton about what a you know genius signing this was. We always grade Ed Woodward on a curve when it comes to uh, transfer dealings, right? Like the the second something goes right, he's a genius. He's a genius. United I- squad management purchasing and contracts has been absolutely horrendous. You know, as bad as we've got appointments. Wrong fit, wrong time of their career, um, perhaps wrong quality in terms of Ollie. As bad as we got those appointments, we've compounded every mistake uh, by just horrendous dealings in the market for the last seven years. And when you look at the numbers, United have had fantastic amounts of money to spend. If, yeah. And I, this is the other thing I just cannot get. Apart from it being Ed Woodward's ego, because he obviously has a really tiny penis, that I just can't get why he wouldn't want to be successful here. He, he's, he's got to have points, right? He's got to have some, uh, some stock. He's, he's got to know that his personal stock and his personal wealth and success are tied into the club's success in some form, you know? Even if it's, it's just the more success United have, the more the halo effect there is and the bigger the sponsorship... It's just he's got. I just cannot believe that we haven't moved to a system where we're spending the vast amounts of money that United create in a better, more sensible way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, no, I mean absolutely. A, such and a broken record, but it's just incredible it, that we haven't fixed it. 
it is a broken record, but this time last year we were talking about cultural reboot and yeah, we've spent a lot of money, but we've kind of made some interesting signings and filled some gaps that we needed to fill. And maybe if we have another good couple of transfer windows, I mean, I, I, not to be like, oh, I'm, I say good things and I'm clever, but at the end of last season, I said that was like the perfect transition season, except it's not going to be because they're not going to get this transfer window right. And that's, I mean, that is exactly what's happened. But, and but 12 months this, on, 15 months on, what we've seen of last season's window was actually wasn't the perfect transition season because we brought in in Maguire and and Aaron Wan-Bissaka two far from ideal players for their positions for the money spent. I mean, you know, it's. We, I, I mean, I, I rate Wan-Bissaka a lot higher than that. I guess. Yeah, but, but he's just he's know, got he's got his limitations. Right. Sure. So world's most but he's also absolutely he's he's absolutely excellent at some things as well. He is, he is, he's like, excellent at things that almost wonder, no one else is excellent. That conversation again. He is excellent at some things, but he has some limitations. Right. I don't think yes. there's anyone who'd say he doesn't. Maybe you. Um, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't say that. So he's excellent at some things. So, and, so world's and most expensive fullback has some limitations, and so to just all fullbacks do. Yeah, all players do, but he has yeah. quite a lot of limitations, shall we say? Um, and, and he's absolutely exceptional at some things that, yeah. that no and, one and else is Bruno good at. And as Bruno told us yesterday, he was trying to cross it when he banked one into the top corner. <laughs> uh, I'm taking Bruno's word for it. He would never lie to us. And Maguire, I mean, Maguire's got even more limitations, you know, apart from his sort of um, erratic positional sense uh, and uh, awful speed and awful speed on the turn. He's He's apparently... Not necessarily the grand character that we are led to believe he is. And he has sort of fallibilities like we all do, you know, and that has uh, had a significant impact on him as well, you know. So I don't know. It's um, and that isn't a criticism. It's just to say, you know, he's <laughs> he, he was one arrest away from uh, completely dissembling. And I, I don't know. I it just I'm, I'm rambling a little bit because I'm. Frustrated. I didn't actually mean for us to be 25 minutes into this pod and still talking about transfer window that closed two weeks ago. Uh, well, it, but, yeah, but, but last season wasn't perfect. Last summer was not perfect. And this summer is way, way off perfect. And the, end, the net effect will be that despite all this talk of cultural reboot and moving forward and progression, if we finish inside the top four, it will be a bloody miracle this season. Not far off. <laughs> okay. You know, it will be... It, it will be we're going to be in a three-way fight, three or four-way fight for that fourth spot, probably. And uh, depending on how Who's... Chelsea progressed this season, because they didn't buy yeah. a centre-back and they didn't buy a... Well, we'll see whether they get a decent goalkeeper. I mean, they signed a goalkeeper. We'll see whether he becomes decent, uh, because they found out yesterday that their current one is not. Um, it's going <laughs> to be really, really tight for a Champions League spot. Again, and are United not supposed to be moving forward? Yeah, there's four. There's four teams, or maybe five teams. No, definitely five teams actually competing for four for two spots in that in that. Well, I don't actually. Maybe maybe it's uh, maybe it's three spots between six teams because Liverpool aren't exactly flying. But anyway, um, the, uh, the I don't disagree that last summer's window wasn't perfect. By the way, I wasn't saying it was. I would, in fact, you said at the time, I'm not so convinced uh, about by this window. Um, uh, but anyway, even so, like the kind of talk, <laughs> sorry, Tottenham just conceded a second in the 85th minute and I was distracted. Um, the uh, the talk was of 
a direction, a strategy, uh, uh, both both strategy and tactics. You know, it was there was something happening behind the scenes, and instead, no, it's exactly the same old, same old, same old. And guess what? The results will be the same old, same old, same old. And I don't think it will be a miracle if we finish in the top four because we've got loads of brilliant players in our team, it's and that th- that's you know that's the thing that's going to depend in our, in our on our first eleven. Uh, yeah, in our first 14 or whatever, like, you know, uh, no, in our first 15, except three of them are goalkeepers. So, um, that's, you know, like I said, after the show, after the Tottenham game, basically big picture could allow us to play more than one at one time. (laughs) (laughs) This season is a battle between our good players and our not so good players. And we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, but the transfer window was an absolute shambles. It was, uh, I think Van der Beek seems like he's really good. We'll see if he still looks really good after two years at Man United, because that seems to do a number on really good players. And so far, it's very, very, very early days and don't want to leap to any conclusions, but Sasha's handling of him has been strange, in my opinion. Um, uh, Tellez, his hoping. Cavani is a big upgrade on i mean if you want here here's your choice of second choice number nine you can either have odia nagalo or edinson cavani and oh, yeah. i know who i'm choosing um and then the kids that's we we'll we have no idea and by the way outgoings absolutely useless finally got rid of chris morning how did that deal go down to literally and i'm not this is not a metaphor the last minute the actual last minute that that deal could have gone down to now shout out to chris morning good night and good luck you big legend and do you know how much that was over that negotiation two million euros two million euros <laughs> just, yeah i i mean people have divided opinions about the role of a director of football or a technical director or a general manager um, but every elite club in Europe, apart from Tottenham Hotspur, has one. And they're, anyhow, it's a specialist role for making sure that the right people go out and the right people come in. And well, they, the right Spurs contract. have that. Spurs have that lad from Leicester, Steve. What's his name? Yes, Don't I think he's him. more on the technical side than the um, the mm. director of football side. But yes, yeah. But he does. He's doing outgoings and incomings, and you know he's got his finger in those pies in that in that way. So yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's it's incredible. Anyway, shall we um, move on to the another subject of Project Big Picture, which was uh, oh gosh, talking a three dimensional I mean, chess. Uh, um, it, I mean, it's really interesting the communication strategy here. So this was not leaked. This was deliberately floated as a trial balloon. Uh, by the big six clubs who decided that Manchester United and Liverpool would front this through the EFL. So basically trying to create a fait accompli in which the um, 72 clubs of the EFL sign on to this and trying to pressure the bottom 14 of the the Premier League into accepting this deal. I'm sure you've all seen all the details, so we don't need to go over those too much. But this is a, a power grab by the big six clubs who in return for buying off the EFL, um, want all the decision-making capability in the Premier League and the ultimate thing that they want, which they very clearly signalled, was that there to be 
fewer games in domestic football, so getting rid of the Community Shield, the EFL Cup, and two places in the Premier League in that, yeah, and this bit wasn't said, so that they those fixture dates could be given over to the expanded Champions League slash European Super League. Um, and longer, and, and they longer want total control tours. of all the money, basically. Yeah. All the money, including all the money made in the EFL, which this was in the small print. Um, uh, Nick Harris from Sporting, Sporting Intelligence, Intelligence yeah, yeah. put a great uh, tweet storm out about this with all the details, which is basically pooling all the money in in English football, which is like £5 billion pounds a season, right? Um, and then having control over all of it. And using COVID as a crutch to divide and rule uh, amongst English clubs, you know, the desperate will get a few pennies thrown at them. Slightly less desperate will be used against them in order to get what the rich and powerful want. So, I mean, I think this was radically condemned. But what it did do is shift the Overton window because now they are discussing this. They set a new a new point from which the discussion could go. It's like, sorry, we always bring this guy up, but he does the same thing. Uh, it's like Donald Trump in, saying in the States that uh, all Mexicans are rapists and we should kick them out of the country and should build a wall. Now, that is the point in which you have a discussion about immigration. This is what Liverpool and Manchester United and the rest of the, the big clubs have done in England. We are now discussing Project Big Picture as the starting point for the discussion. I can't believe you said we always bring him up. I'm pretty sure I've brought him up zero times. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> and that's fine. It's a perfectly reasonable comparison. And yeah, I mean, like I said, that when the when the story of uh, Project Big Window won't Project Big Picture won't go if ahead, only we had a big window. Uh, only, yeah, if Project- only we had a big picture of the window, it'd be all perfect, wouldn't it? <laughs> Um, yeah, Project Big Picture Won't Go Ahead was the story. And I was like, yep, Project Medium Sized Picture that seems reasonable in comparison will now be uh, floated to everyone. And, and you know, th- this is clearly, this was clearly a wild power grab in order to um, try and create this new dynamic. And like you say, move the Overton window and now everything seems reasonable in comparison. And, you know, the, the numbers that, that is kind of despicable, really, like the way that the numbers were talked about and, and that sporting intelligence breakdown kind of breaks down this idea that somehow 250 million was going to the EFL. Like there's nowhere near that much going. That was like best case possible scenario. That'd be what was going. It was much more nuanced and ugly than that. Um, the the thing is it, liverpool's owners and united's owners having unfettered control over the premier league i mean liverpool's owners at least have shown themselves to be competent and you know to an extent i mean there was the furlough stuff right which was pretty gross but to an extent they've bought into the culture and all those kinds of things united's owners have been you know carpet baggers leeches on on football in this country, globally, on, on United, obviously. Although I, I did think it was very classic Henry Winter sanctimony. Did you see that yes. story where he was like, Joel Glazer, you don't deserve to be in a room with Alex Ferguson. I'm just like, do a quick search for all the things that Alex Ferguson said about Joel Glazer because they were unanimously, relentlessly, lavishly positive because <laughs> Alex Ferguson personally benefited a tremendous amount from the Glazer takeover of Manchester United. Oh, that's so right. There I, we go. There's so many people in the world of football who don't come off well 
when it comes to you know football finance and and the Glazer ownership of of Manchester United and um, the sanctimony of winter is is only slightly toned down in that he has been pretty critical of Glazer ownership of Manchester United, right? So at least he isn't a raving hypocrite, which so many in in English football are, because it's been a great story that Manchester United's empire has crumbled under this this terrible regime. But you know, you can laugh at Glazenomics one second. Glazenomics is the same nomics of of Project Big Picture. Yeah, one of you the know, things it, it, I... it is exactly the same thing. This is this is you know this is late stage capitalism thrust onto to football, forgetting that. And it's the same arguments we've been having trolls on the internet for the last fifteen years. You know, forgetting that football clubs are social institutions deeply embedded in their communities, and they are more than just businesses. They are more than just businesses, and that is important. And that's why football clubs have carve outs in legislation. Right, and are uh, able to sell their rights in anti-competitive ways because politicians in the UK and in Europe and in countries all around the world recognise that football is, football is you know, more than business and the Premier League has done themselves the game here um, and all the clubs are a really poor disservice. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, the big six clubs have, are getting what they want in a way because they are dividing the pools of English clubs up into into groups in order to, you know, use them as wedges against each other. Because you can be sure that, you know, there's not one conversation happening in Tampa amongst the Glazer kids that is about, well, we must save the uh, the English football pyramid. The great history of uh, football <laughs> in England is, is of primary importance. And we're, you know, we, we must, this is, this is, a, oh, and, oh, oh, pay-per-view revenues. Well, you know, that's just a little thing on the side. Don't worry about that one, you know. Anyway, so that brings us on to our next news story. Sorry, everyone, it's going to be a long show today, but we've been gone for two weeks. We've got a lot to say. Um, I just need to let you know, Ed, that Lanzini just scored one of the best goals I've ever seen to make it West Ham United 3, Tottenham 3, which is why I was briefly distracted during what you were saying there. Um, The next piece of news uh, is that pay-per-view football has been introduced for the second time into uh, British society. There was an ill-fated attempt 15 years ago. Yeah, something something like that. that. 2006, Um, I think the last last one was, yeah. Yeah, and it was a a, a massive flop. Um, This, I think, was particularly egregious, I have to say. Um, I think... The single biggest problem with this is the price point. I do understand. Now, whether we should say it is ridiculous that in 2020, not every match is automatically broadcast on television when it could easily be, that, that I think is an argument. But given that we live in a world where that's not the case and the TV companies have paid for a certain amount of games, I, th- I think there is there's some understanding that you can't just until crowds get back into the stadiums, however long that takes, keep showing every single match. You could if you were just a little bit less greedy. But if you're not going to do that, charge a five of you greedy muppets. Like, 15 quid for a football match. Like, football matches are mostly rubbish. All right, 
Okay, they used to mostly be rubbish. Now they're apparently all unbelievably brilliant, but that didn't used to be the case. (laughs) Football matches are quite often really boring. And the most disgusting comparison is people going, oh, well, you pay 25 to 40 quid for a ticket to the game. Why won't you pay 15 quid? It's a ticket to the game. You don't go to the game to watch the game. That's like, that's one thing that happens when you go to the game. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, no. I mean, but you know exactly how this conversation has gone down. And and we're not quite sure, right? We're not quite sure whether it's the clubs getting together um, or or Sky because the Premier League deny that the clubs have had anything to do with setting this price. It's Sky and the broadcast partners who've come up with the price. They sell the product. It's not us. We license it to them, you know. God, they've come up with this awful price point that we secretly told them was perfectly okay. You know, the conversation has basically gone exactly as you said. It's 25 to 50 or 60 quid to go to a game and therefore 15 quid is great value and it's this kind of weird top-down view of the world that, oh, we can just move a few pieces around. This is the market, you know, and so this is, isn't this wonderful value, forgetting that they are completely different products, completely different. And, and yeah, my God, they, did they not have a single fan representative that was in that conversation who would have told them, Within 30 seconds, this is an awful idea and it's going to bomb and you're going to get a lot of criticism. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there was a lot of criticism and I think they're going to have a rethink. I'd be fascinated to know how many people uh, spent the 15 quid. I'd be really surprised if they do because it'll be horrendous. I mean, how many people do you think signed up for 15 quid to watch Sheffield United 19th place in the Premier League versus... Fulham 20th place in the Premier League this morning, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I I'm sure that I'm sure that the United game some people would have paid to get their fix. I mean there were there were good things about this so there was a big fun movement to um to encourage donations to charity as a kind of as a as a effectively as a protest against this um i participated in that and and um put the money that i would have put into i mean i wouldn't have put into the pay-per-view but the price of pay-per-view to the the mufc mcfc joint funds food bank which is a an amazing amazing thing that's happening in manchester they've raised a ton of money and done just done so much like in just in terms of when the games were going on they were they were getting food donations outside the games and and they've raised a ton of money since and they, they really are very dedicated people working very hard for absolutely no personal glory whatsoever just I, I, you know i think it's a really a, a good organization doing good work um but that i i hope that i mean if the price came down to a fiver i think i would say okay that seems vaguely reasonable because this is, you know, I know this is the most obvious point in the world, but I guess people abroad might not know this. This is on top of the fact that to watch all the games that your team is just, not all the games that your team's in, all the games that your team have been picked for broadcast, you have to have three subscriptions. You have to have Amazon Prime. Okay, you can get that for a month so for, for the time being. It's not very expensive. But Sky, you have to have every month. BT Sport, you have to have every month on big contracts that get packaged in and you know you end up paying a fortune unless you're prepared to get a proxy and ip use iptv and all that kind of stuff which not everyone's able to do 
technically. Yeah, I've heard that uh, that's not technically that difficult and really you just need a proxy service and you can sign up for uh, numerous different, um, both um, dubiously legal and definitely illegal services around the world. I've heard. Yeah. Um, but to do it, if you want to do Many it... Many people say that this is how you can do it. <laughs> if you want to do it in a in a sort of like completely legit fashion and and you don't have any technical expertise, you have to pay a fortune already. So to be asked to pay 15 quid on top... And, you know, this is bad if you support United. It's absolutely awful if you support a team that isn't one of the big six because fewer of your games will be picked for broadcast in general. And that, there'll be that's more... right, yeah. And, and I mean, someone added it up uh, to watch all your team's games. Um, having all those contracts plus 15 quid is going to cost you a couple of grand a year, at least. It's crazy. Absolutely insane to watch football on the TV, which is not a with no crowd and no atmosphere, and the commentator yeah. apologising every thirty seconds because someone said a naughty word. Absolutely. So um, all that is terrible. United's transfer window was terrible. It was quite funny when there was a massive rumour going around that Bruno Fernandes had shouted at everyone how they're not fit to wear the shirt at half-time against Tottenham. Um, I mean, allegedly that's not true, so maybe maybe that's not true. Um, Maguire was awful and, and there was a lot of talk about... I think one thing that really bugged me was the talk about his mental health because it's like... You you have no idea what's going on, whether oh, anything's going on with his mental health. The The, the one thing I would say is... I think we I'll always say this, we need to treat footballers like humans, not football robots. And he's clearly had a very tough time. Um, but yes, yeah. and my comment earlier was was a reaction to the kind of narrative that has come out after that. And Solskjaer said, you know, um, after the game, you know, big character, big man, ins- inspirational leader, you know, once more into the breach. He basically, you know, flew into that Newcastle game on the back of a horse. Uh, you know, anyway. Did he not then? No, no, no. Okay. I mean, uh, he 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 definitely leapt like a salmon for his goal. He should did. we should we should we take a break? Let's take after? a break, and we'll talk about some actual football. Yeah, forty-five minutes of news, and we'll talk about some football. If you want more from the show in between shows, check us out on the socials. We are NQAT Pod on Instagram, Ed's at NQAT Pod on Twitter, and we are under our real names on Facebook at No Question About That. I feel like we haven't even talked about all the news, but that, that must be enough. Because what a fantastic bit of football United put on yesterday. It was tremendous in parts, I thought. Yeah, I mean, in parts, there were there was some of it was quite frustrating. I mean, um, in in that United didn't quite convert the uh, amount of control that I felt United, the, the team had for almost all the game uh, into um, into a victory earlier than they did. So what was it, you know, 85 minutes before the second goal came? Uh, and that was somewhat frustrating. But it's, it was the most control United had had at any point this season. I'm sure it's aided in part by... In part by the selection, of course, Fred and McTominay gave United a lot of uh, energy in that, you know, in the central midfield area, um, if not a lot of creativity on the ball there. And in part by them now being an extra couple of weeks fitter as well, which I'm I'm sure helped. I mean, they actually looked fitter than Newcastle by the end of the game, didn't they? 
Um, and and so yeah, you know, obviously the best performance of the season to date, but also the most controlled to date, and and it will give the team and Solskjaer a, a massive respite after after what was an absolute avalanche of criticism following the the six one defeat. Rightly so, of course, um, but um, you know, much of it very personal. Uh, about the manager or Maguire or Pogba or others who didn't play well in that game or others, um, and so you know for a, for at least a few days we until we get spanked by PSG we don't have to have that kind of cloud of negativity. Um, so yeah, no, it was thoroughly enjoyable and some really good goals as well. So it all started. I don't know if we, I can't remember whether we talked about this on the last show or not. I can't remember if it had done the rounds yet. But the video of David de Gea shouting at Luke Shaw, "Luke, no, no, no!" as he runs out of position for one of the Tottenham goals with a gay abandon, and the ball comes into exactly where he was supposed to be standing, and Tottenham score. This started with Luke, no, no, as Luke Shaw accidentally steered one into his own net. I mean, listen, these those things happen. That's that's not him being totally useless or standing in the wrong place or running to the wrong place it's him sticking the leg out reflexively and it it going bad for him so you know um I thought I thought the defending was a bit um iffy uh the the Lindelof was right up with the play and sort of stepped in a little too quickly got turned a bit easy I thought I mean I, I don't know I've not played football at any meaningful level I've no idea whether I'm right or not, that was just the observation from watching well, it on telly. Really high quality defenders don't tend to get turned that quickly. Yeah. You know? So I mean, uh, uh, you know, and, and Newcastle looked bright. Alessandro Maxima was really good. I thought in the in that first half for quite a lot of the like, you know, he was causing a lot of trouble for United, and they had a couple of pretty great openings. Um, so they scored first. Um, United's first goal came immediately after. Their first goal that wasn't a goal, which was just scintillating football. Mata was a, well, he was absolutely offside, but um, just phenomenal football for for that goal. The the interplay between Bruno and Mata, just and then the really superb, and the finish was classic. Yes, real real shame, um, but yes, the back of his heel was offside. And there's some, I mean, it wasn't very narrow in in offside terms these days. Um, and before VAI, probably wouldn't have been called offside because it's oh, one of those hard do you think? ones. It's one of those well, hard I ones because he's going the other way, so it's one of those hard yeah. ones to to pick out. I think. Yeah, he was far enough off that there was at least a chance he'd have been caught off in the olden days. But United quickly after that got a corner, um, and uh, a very fine corner and a very very fine header from Maguire, who, as you have repeatedly pointed out, does not score a lot of those. But there was one, and people will uh, use that on now. a couple. Actually, I mean, it was that that one he scored, but a couple of others that he attacked. So, uh, old Ari was uh, determined to show his critics wrong there. Big slab head on them. Yeah, the pure narrative, that goal. Just absolutely undiluted. Foot- classic, classic football being its, its football self, being like, right, it's been a player who's been widely talked about all week. He's going to be involved at the heart of the action. And lo and behold, he was uh, a fine goal and very happy for him yeah. uh, in David that moment. David Pratton on the NBC coverage, um, because... Uh, uh, obviously, I flew over to the states in the middle of a no. global pandemic to watch it. No, this this one we streamed. This game we streamed oh, out yeah. of uh, 
revenge DPD, against the system. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes, um, Preston on NBC coverage uh, said, yes, that's pure narrative. That is, which is actually very good. Um, he's, a, he's a good co-coms. Uh, yeah, I alongside agree. Bill Leslie, who's, uh, you know, decent on the comms, understated. Uh, but, uh, yes, that was funny. Uh, yeah, Of course, football has this way of, of telling those stories. I mean, I suppose um, with the sort of infinite combinations of things that can happen in a game that's bound to happen. So, uh, But it just gets highlighted. Uh, but good for Harry. Hopefully that, you know, boosts his confidence. I don't know if it's going to increase his talent any, but it'll boost his confidence. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a massive factor because, you know, however little you rate Harry Maguire, nobody surely thinks he is the player he's been in the last six weeks. You know, that's like he's a better player than that, whatever else whatever else you say about him. The selection was very strange to, to start with. McTominay and Fred and Matter and James all being the starting eleven was was a real surprise. Um, and, uh, you know, it worked out in the end, but... Really, United weren't actually good until Van der Beek came on and Pogba came on. So, like, and some of those players weren't on the pitch anymore, and it made a bit of a difference to United's overall creative ability. I mean, yeah. they, they, I mean Dan they James nearly... got the ball a few times. He's playing off the left. I mean, at least it allows him to cut inside and shoot, which he did to no particular effect. I mean, he he's one who should have gone out on loan because he's gonna he's he's not gonna play that many minutes. He's gonna play far fewer minutes than he did last season. I imagine, if as you know, touch wood, there's no injury to Marcus Rashford, and um, you know it's not going to be good for him because he's drowning a little bit. When Matter, on the other hand, gave us one of those glimpses that we see now and again of what a you know what a quality footballer he has been and his ability to pick out space. You know, even though his his little legs don't run very fast anymore or ever did. Uh, and and to pick out a pass and and his quality on the ball is is superb, you know. But he's he's just not very dynamic. Yeah, I mean, and him and Fernandez work brilliantly together, and Van der Beek as well. That that's a that's yes, and Rashford, all three of them on the pitch at the end, which was which was nice. Yeah, and Rashford led the line manfully and in the end got his reward for for, for that with two assists and a goal. Um, he also. One United the penalty and Fernandez Fernandez took a one step run up, which I don't think I've ever seen him do, and uh had his first football. Yeah, foot I, penalty I never like it when players saved. take such a short run up, especially if it's too short and too straight. So short's one thing, but it's so straight, you're like it's almost impossible to contort your body to push it the other way when it's that straight. So it felt like he telegraphed that one. I mean, can't be too critical, right? He scored. <laughs> 11 since he came to the club. Uh, he has a fantastic penalty record. And he does switch up, up styles, doesn't he? He hops, skips and jumps sometimes and sometimes he powers it. Uh, but this was odd that he, he changed it up so much. And and I, I, don't, I don't think I saw an interview where he talked about it at all. I, I guess he was uh, he the just, keep, keepers guessing. It was just a slightly odd. He just said well done to Carl Darlow for being the first goalkeeper in the Premier League to save a penalty off him um I want to say about Dan James two people in the last 24 hours have told me I'm too harsh on Dan James and then I asked around of various other people and they disagreed that I was too harsh because I don't I don't want to be and I, I don't know anything about these things and so I'm making it all up you know but I think he's rubbish so that's I hope he's not um I'd love it if he wasn't but I just don't think he's 
anywhere near the level. I think he. I think well, it passes he, the smell test as a as a piece of analysis, doesn't it? Because I mean, well, aside from you can look at all the data, right? His contribution is almost zero. I mean, if you rounded it down, it would be zero per game. Uh, but also, you know, you got the eyes. Yeah, I mean, he works really hard, and I mean, he's an incredibly willing runner, incredibly willing, and you can see that that adds value to the team. Uh, just because he'll pull people out of position and stuff like that. And and actually he was quite tidy with the ball in build-up play yesterday, 93% pass completion, talking of data. Um, but it did look to me like his final contributions were often the arena that the kind of move would break down or whatever. So anyway, like, you know, that, that, was, that was my take on that. Um, and then things, the, after the penalty was missed, the second half I thought United were, seemed completely on top. Newcastle got very compact. Um, I don't feel like we create... Oh, there was the incredible De Gea save. I haven't talked about that. The um, Just just magical, peak, peak David De Gea save. Peak like, Dave diving down to his left, yeah. Yeah, almost impossible to make that save. And yet De Gea does it, kind of makes it look like, yeah, of course he saved it. But just incredibly yeah. high I mean, quality it's, save. It's worth dwelling for a moment on Dave because, I mean... United uh, conceded six the past, the previous game. I'm not sure he was, you know, obviously at fault for any of those six or any particular goals this season for United. There was, he got a lot of heat for um, his contribution to Ukraine's goal in the Nations League. Right. And I think, honestly, I mean, I've watched that goal like half a dozen times now to try and work out why he got so much heat. I think he's just pushed up. He's pushed up, as goalkeepers do, to be in the right position to be sweeping. And the through ball wasn't quite as firm as he thought. So he'd have probably been beaten anyway because it was basically one-on-one. But uh, it made it a little easier because he was in sort of no man's land. But it wasn't the kind of mistake that... It's the kind of mistake goalkeepers make all the time, right? It wasn't the kind of mistake that Dave's been making, which is generally poor handling from shots from the 20 to 25-yard range. So, yeah. Um like hey, if if Henderson coming back uh, and signing a new contract and obviously been given some promises about game time has pushed Dave to increase his focus and concentration and levels then great. Yeah, we it didn't. definitely didn't please um Romero or most particularly Romero's wife. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Romero, I don't know her name, I'm sorry. Uh very unhappy and publicly unhappy about United's treatment of Romero. And Edward Wood should not be worried about a bunch of blokes with flares standing outside his house. He should be worried about <laughs> Mrs. Marrero, Romero coming to his house. The thing is, I had a lot of sympathy for what she said. She was like He's never complained. He's always been like incredibly professional and yeah. was desperate for a move. I also have to say, I think United improving Everton this season for not very much money would have been a significant strategic mistake because make no mistake, Romero is a much better goalkeeper than Jordan Pickford, who I... Although, I, I mean, to be fair, Jordan Pickford, and we'll talk about this in more depth in the Becker's content, he did do one good thing this 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 weekend, didn't he? I'm not having that. <laughs> um, one good thing. Uh, yeah, he did pull off a really good save. He also made one of the worst attempts at a save any of us have ever seen, and we've seen a lot of David De Gea over the last two years. Um, so then the subs started happening, and United got rolling. Um, the first goal is 
one of the all-time great United counter-attacking goals. I mean, the context of it wasn't Champions League semi-final or whatever, but the quality of each individual contribution from that goal. So it's um, it's Van der Beek and Bruno interchange passes deep in United's third. There's a long pass from, I think it's Van der Beek to uh, Rashford. Um, oh no, to Mata, who finds Rashford. Rashford then... Perfect back heel to Bruno, who's run basically two thirds of the length of the pitch and smashes it the far top bins. Lovely. I mean, absolutely perfect goal, basically. Yeah, and when you've got all those ball players on the pitch, that's the kind of thing you can do. Mm. It's, it's the balance of having all these ball players and some of the quicker players. I mean, it at some point we'll see it this season. I mean, it's probably when we're desperate, but you know, we'll see Van der Beek, Pogba, Bruno, Rashford, Martial. And Greenwood all on the pitch. And there'll be a madness going on. So, I mean, that's the talent you were talking about earlier when you said we've got 11 or 14 or whatever it is, really good players. The, the challenges after that, of course, and, and the balance, and especially the defensive balance, which yeah, uh, I'm not sh- which is difficult, which we haven't got a good defensive balance yet. We've got seven or eight really, really, really good players. That's the thing. Like, really, really good that could be part of a really good team that did really good stuff. Um, then United uh, immediately scored again. And uh, I can't remember who it was that scored the the third, United's third. Um, Rashford, da-da-da. wasn't it? Aaron, no, Rashford. Wambazaka scored oh, the third. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. How could I forget? That's another lovely pass from um, Van der Beek to, who was it, to Rashford. It was, yeah. it was the long ball forward, wasn't it? Yeah, so that was one of Rashford's two assists um, and an absolutely fantastic shot from Aaron Wambasaka scoring on his 50th game for United, scoring his yeah. first Premier League goal. One, one in. goal in 95, yeah. He's, he's, we, we're not going to call him Cafu just yet, but uh, good, for, good for him. And He looked a bit surprised himself that that one ended up in the top bins, didn't he? Yeah, and he was very happy and it was, it was really lovely. Um and then, talking of really lovely, uh, a man who was given an MBE and, I mean, he didn't do what I would absolutely have loved him to do, which is to say thank you very much for this incredible honour, but unfortunately I can't accept this while things are still happening. But he did the next best thing, which is to accept it and then double down on everything that he was doing to get it in the first place. Um, I mean... They gave it to him to try and shut him up. The, the people yeah, giving yeah. out I mean, those honours. This was nominated by Boris Johnson. So, yeah. yes, it's a, this was an attempt and uh, he, he's not taking the bait. Uh, he, yeah, good, good for him. Yeah. Lovely young man he is. Dr. Sir Marcus Rashford, MBE, scored an absolute banger as well, by the way. The fantastic ball in behind from Bruno. And Rashford finally held his run right. Yeah, like he finally yeah. that was really really well executed. He'd missed a good chance earlier in the in the game from a similar position, uh, but this was yes held his run, bent the run, and finished it really well. Yeah, perfect. And what a, what an end! And then you know, so all that dominance, all that control, and finally wore down Newcastle. And they, you know, they Steve Bruce said afterwards they got kind of naive um, right at the end. Uh, I was surprised that he didn't say more about, well, that's what Manchester United can do to you, you know, because he loves he loves us, the least Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce likes United more than we do, I think. Bruce um, out was trending uh, briefly. Uh, the, the few Newcastle United fans were 
where I, I mean I, I feel I feel some sympathy for Bruce. So they've done some decent business this summer, Newcastle, yeah. given the 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 sort of doubts around ownership and all of that. You know, Wilson, I think will score goals. Uh, Hendrik, you know, he's not he's not a major talent in midfield, but he's he's going to give them some grit in there for sure. You know, he's a very honest player. Sorry, it's an awful football wow football cliche. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry, I picked on it up on it immediately. But you know, he is that like he's that kind of pro that will he will make every tackle and he'll he's run around an awful lot. And, well. But he's he's not very silky on the ball. Um, who else did they pick up this? Um, uh, Jamal Lewis? No, was he a signing this summer? I, don't I know. can't remember. No, Callum I, Wilson's the big one though. That's that's the yeah. the transformative side. Oh, Fraser, right? Ryan Fraser is the other one that he picked up. Um, yeah, the the right winger from Bournemouth. Um, plenty of right wingers in that part of the world. Weird that Bournemouth, like two players, moved from Bournemouth to Newcastle, which is almost as far as you can move and still be in the same country. And maybe it is actually as far as you can move in in terms of between a team well, I and the championship. They moved and the... from Plymouth to yeah, whatever somewhere even. Further is there anywhere north further Newcastle? north? Hartlepool is it north of Newcastle? Oh, I'm, no, I'm Hartlepool. I think. I think Hartlepool's south of Newcastle. South of Newcastle. One thing I know for sure is that Middlesbrough is south of Newcastle because I learned that last year when I went Carlisle's to... Carlisle's a bit further north though, isn't it? Carlisle's right on the other side, so... Yeah, I don't know. it might be sort of parallel to Newcastle. <laughs> Fun, like Because everyone was thinking, do you know what, this show's not long enough. <laughs> These boys haven't talked enough. We'll do like a good riff on, on the geographical realities of the northern United Kingdom. Yeah, anyway, anyway, it was... It was a really good performance from United and Newcastle were fine until the last, until, you know, until last that goal broke minutes, them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it could have gone very different. You know, it a lot of, a lot of lovely, warm, positive feelings about the end of that game. And rightly so, because the, the one thing you have to give United credit for, and I, I do think this is something that's credit worthy is they absolutely stuck at it. Really, never let the heads drop. Never had that kind of collective sense of "oh, it's just not our day." Just kept going and going and going and going. And when you've got that much quality on the pitch at once, I'm probably worried about Bruno's happen. reaction in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he of course the English civilization. <laughs> he um, he didn't say at any point. He uh, he said, you know, they're, they're just using my name to uh, to get clicks, and then a lot of people. And then that he had... winked and gave a knowing nod. A lot of people that had used the previous story to get clicks then put out that story to get more clicks because that's how these things work. That's how it works. Anyway, shall we shall we leave it there and uh, move on to to very very quick break and then move on to Paris Saint Germain? Let's do it. Ah, <sighs> uh, so we'll always have Paris. You know, playing is this in Paris? I mean, I, I don't follow anymore because, like, does it matter? I guess it only matters in terms of in terms of travel. Let's have, I think it's in Paris. I think I think it's in Paris too. Um, so PSG just beat Nîmes four nil, so going slightly better than United because uh, given that we uh, we won four um, one. <laughs> I'm just checking. Yeah, it's in Paris. Uh, Edison and Cavani, I think, signed for United because we were drawn against PSG in the Champions League. That Toast. seemed to be what he was saying, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Mm. I believe him. Anyway, PSG is interesting because they, I mean, they, they like us, had some early season poor results. They didn't really have a, I mean, 
the Ligue 1 season started before they'd even before the Champions League had even finished. So, um, you know, they they obviously were not properly prepared for this season. Um, and and there was a massive disappointment of losing in that final and so on. So they had a few poor results. Uh, I think they've they've come back from that strongly, beat Nîmes, Anger, Rheem, Nice, Metz, since losing to Marseille. So, you know, a bunch of decent results. Um, Thomas Tuchel was saying they had like 12 players out for out their whole squad from yesterday's game, had to... Um, use a bunch of the younger players. Uh, but I think most of the big names will be back for this one, it seems. Yeah, um, Neymar uh, is, Tuchel said that Neymar's fit. And when it comes to PSG in the Champions League, really, I mean, they're obviously, they've got a lot of quality in other areas of the pitch, but Neymar is Neymar is a, just a different level of player. I mean, I, I, it's very easy to get caught up in the nonsense around Neymar and ignore the scale of talent, but he is an absolutely extraordinary footballer on his day. So, you oh, know, look, he's, he's a magnificent footballer, and his record is is you know he's he'll he will become the leading goal scorer in Brazilian football history at some point in the not too distant future, undoubtedly. Mm. And that says an awful lot. He's a he's 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 a beautiful player to watch when he's playing well, which is most of the time. And he's an absolute twat of a human being <laughs> alongside it. So, and it's okay to hold these two things in your head at the same time. Yeah, and um, the the rest of the team. I mean, Mbappe is Mbappe, isn't he? I mean, this is he is the global star boy, and and for perfectly good reason. He's He's an absolutely extraordinary talent. Now, the the rest of the supporting cast is not what it once was. You know, when they had the front three of, you know, I can't even remember, but did they play a front three of Neymar, Cavani, and Di Maria? Kind of, there were there was they have done there it. was yeah there was a point at which they were really they just looked really strong in multiple different positions. But their midfield, Rafinha was a really good signing for them, I think, um, and he played apparently he played well at the yeah, weekend. Yeah, I mean, Di Maria, Di Maria didn't play yesterday. Um, obviously, Cavani is gone, so they played um, Mbappe, Moise Keane, who's on loan from Everton, and Pablo Sarabia, um, the Spanish uh, midfielder up front yesterday, which is not you know is not the same level clearly as Neymar, Mbappe, and Cavani. And you know Maria. the um, the fact that they have signed Moise Keane on loan from Everton to replace Eric Chupamoting Moting, of formerly of Stoke, who has now gone to Bayern Munich. It makes the world is a very confusing place. A very I mean, confusing uh, yes, place. Yes, I mean, like we had a long chat about transfers, but a lot of it is driven by clubs trying to juggle with their finances uh, at the moment. I mean, one point two billion spent in the Premier League, but around Europe. It was something like seventy percent down in the in the Spanish in La Liga um, because there's no money. And Barcelona famously couldn't afford to bring in um, uh, Memphis. Memphis, sorry, yes, I've forgotten his name for a second there. Memphis for twenty million euros uh, because they, because not only is it the fee they'd have had to get off the book, get off the books, but the wages as well. So. Um, they're, they're struggling financially. So lots of weird stuff going on, including Moise Keane going on loan to Paris Saint-Germain. 
we didn't even talk about um Usman Dembele on deadline day and all of that stuff. Um Yeah, was... it was never gonna happen though, was it? Um so we'll see. Who do we get back? Is D- I'm not sure if Di Maria's fit or or Icardi is fit. Neymar apparently is fit, Mbappe's fit. Um it uh Kazawa's been out for a while, the left back, so I don't think he's gonna play. Herrera was on a bench yesterday, so I assume he's gonna come come in. Draxler played, but he's been out of favour for a long time. Uh, Can't believe he's still there. Yeah, I know. It's it's a real surprise he didn't go. Uh, Who else? Kera has been injured as well. I think Marquinhos played, I think. Verratti didn't yesterday. So they they have had a lot of players out. Kim Pembre played, I think, if I remember correctly. So what is United's route to victory here? Like, what are they going to sit deep and try and hit them on? Are they going to try and absorb pressure and hit? PSG on the break. I mean, so we're going to assume Martial's back in the side. Rashford plays on the left. I wonder whether Matt might not keep his place. Um, So you could have that as the front three. I'm not saying you should. I'm saying you could. Um, Pogba and... I mean, Pogba's got to come back in the side. Surely you don't... Yeah, I'd I'd imagine. If he's fit, he's going to be back in the side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, Ollie was fairly dismissive of questions about uh, his use of van der Beek saying, look, he's made an impact already. He will make an impact. So I don't think he's going to start. I, I assume Pogba will start. And we, I don't know what happened. Greenwood, do you know? Did he say? Can't remember. Um, no, I don't, in fact, not can't remember. Whether don't know. Greenwood's fit or not, I don't know. It will make a big difference. Um, but that performance from Meta may well... We'll see whether he's got two performances like that when United aren't going to have much of the ball um, in a week, you know. Don't know. The other well, thing he might do is play Cavani. It's not. It's not impossible. I mean, I think it'd be yeah, pretty unlikely Cavani he's going to start Cavani since March. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he'll be on the bench, I'm sure, in this game. Um, then, then the question becomes: I mean, he played uh, Fred and McTominay together. Is he going to play Matic and Pogba together in the midfield two in a four-two-three-one? I mean, that to me is very different from playing. Pogba and Fernandez ahead of Matic in a four-three-three. That's a, there's a kind of pretty significant difference depending on which oh, sure. way the arrow I mean, points. In fact, there. Yesterday's um, team looked much more like a four-three-three uh, with uh, yeah, they weren't necessarily playing it because McTominay isn't really a sort of deep lying player necessarily. Although he played for Scotland in the back three, it gave me oh awful memories. <laughs> McTominay turning out in the back three, uh, okay for Scotland, not okay for United. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, it looked much more like a four-three-three at times uh, yesterday for United, and and it'll be interesting to see the balance because if he does bring Matic back in and Pogba, I mean we know what we're going to get from Pogba. We'll get you know high quality on the ball, and we'll get I'm sure we'll get discipline because he's shown that he can do that. Um, but we're not going to get the kind of defensive solidity that you would get from playing Fred and McTominay in there. This season in particular as well, the thing that Pogba, that's happened to Pogba a lot is he's been pressed off the ball, which isn't something you associate with Pogba, or I don't associate it with Pogba anyway. But he's been double teamed a lot and people have got the ball off him in dangerous positions. There's There have been those turnovers. And to me, that's like a pretty good barometer. It's like Wayne Rooney's first touch used to be the barometer of Rooney form. feels like Pogba's ability to dance through two players trying to get the ball off him is, is a pretty good barometer of where Pogba's at. And, you know, I'm his... 
there are not many people that are more irrationally defensive of Paul Pogba than me, but I'm not even sure I think for sure you have to play him in this game. I think it's a, I think it, it, Solskjaer will, and I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but it's a, it's, there is some level of gamble given what we've seen so far this season of playing Pogba in this game. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So look, if you went with, with Matic and McTominay and, Fernandez, assuming because Fernandez plays every game, then then you you're certainly going to have more defensive um, sort of stability. But without crowds, home away doesn't make any difference. So shouldn't you play to your strengths? And and United's strengths should be the amount of creative players, creative attacking players we've got, creating creative and or attacking players we've got. Uh, should be. I mean, it doesn't really translate into chances created uh, and goals all the time. Uh, but that should be United's strength against a PSG side that are probably going to be playing two second choice fullbacks, probably, and maybe one second choice central defender. Um, and maybe there's an argument for saying that United should go out there in an attempt to win. I mean, there's definitely an argument to say that United should go out there in an attempt to win, um, for sure. But of course, the counter to that is, and I'm, I'm not saying this means they shouldn't go out and try and win. The biggest weakness in United's side is the one-on-one defending of three of their four back four. So, I mean, the amount of uh, opportunities for testing United's brittle back four that that those super talented PSG forwards are going to have, it's going to be really substantial. You, You can't play a high line against PSG because Mbappe will murder you. And if you try and sit too deep and soak up pressure, Neymar will murder you. So, you know... I mean, I guess the thing is, you just got to throw a bunch of haymakers. Just stand in the ring, punching. Like if both of these teams do that, it could be a, could be a cracker this game. I I kind of think Ollie's going to try and go there a bit to spoil. I, I I think it's going to be a bit Fergie in Europe. You know, it feels a little bit like that to me. Yeah, I mean, Mbappe has four goals and three assists in in four domestic games this season. So you know, you could say he's in some form um Mario Cardi scored four as well uh no I lie he scored two but you know hey that's two uh you know they've definitely got the uh the tools to hurt United an awful lot obviously yeah Um, at the back uh, I'm sure Tillez is not gonna start it'll be sure I mean they're not gonna throw him in first night in this game I don't think uh, and and then the only question is Lindelof or Bailly pick your poison there. I think he's I think that decision's made I think he's going to go with Lindelof yeah, yeah. I think so um uh, yeah there was there was some uh, worry that Eric Bailly had got an injury playing for playing international football uh, and yeah, he dismissed that one yeah said yeah. he was all right yeah all right so all right. let's let, after a long show we've still got we've Still got to do backers content on a bunch of absolutely crazy football to talk about. Yeah. Quick, quick um, shout out for the women's team who've had a really good start to the season. So um, I think one four, drawn one in the league and lost a cup game, Conti Cup game to Liverpool, but um, uh, had a very good win against West Ham today. Yeah, you you said that was a really. I was out for a run. You said yeah, it was that was good. Really it was an entertaining game, game and um, yeah, uh, United played really well. They've got some really good players. I mean, I think all of the apart from Ivana Russo, uh, sorry, uh, Ivana Fuso, um, all of the new players have played quite a lot of games. So Alessia Russo scored twice today. She looks like a very good 
forward came from um, came from college football. Um, both the Americans, Heath and Press, have already made an impression. Both scored today, so you know this it's a good. This is a good United side with what looks like, uh, although they're working on a budget, a sound and sensible transfer policy. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, PSG one, Man United nil. Boo. That's my prediction. <sighs> it's Sorry. Be like four or five one, isn't it? No, no, <laughs> no. I'm. I never. I never predict that. I'm going to go for a one all draw. All right. Great. No, uh, two all. Last minute penalty. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> what am I saying? One nil. What is this? Two thousand and. 19 no it's going to be six all because that's football <laughs> football's gone no, i'm um, going to go for one all all right cool um and uh with that we say thank you for listening thank you for sticking with us through such a long show hope you've enjoyed it um and uh patreon backers stay tuned because there's a, there is a whole lot of football to talk about <laughs>